Millions of despairing men, women and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom, kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of episode 52 and like everything else in this show it's meandering and a little bit odd and 52 is not our one year anniversary because we've had some bonus episodes even one that was not numbered so uh but 52 52 pick up happy at least one year anniversary uh to us and today we are going back into africa and this developed through a mutual friend and i have a gentleman with us today who is well he's going to introduce himself largely but today i'm going to identify him as the mysterious and multi-talented miss dr black dr black i'm sorry how are you today i'm doing fantastic thank you so much for having me for most people who don't know me for some people that don't know me uh, my name is dr black pj black in the wrestling community or uh a lot of people remember me as Justin Gabriel from WWE or by my moniker Darewolf or Cape Town Werewolf. There's been so many monikers, but uh, yeah, for now, you guys can just call me Dr. Black. I am two years away from my actual PhD, but uh, you know, in wrestling world, that counts. <laughs> it sure does. We round up. Exactly. Yeah. So, so for anyone who doesn't know uh, PJ and you know as PJ Black or Justin Gabriel, he's from South Africa. So you know th this is not just sort of a, a rando pickup. If if it was, I would have tried to get him on one of my wrestling uh, vehicles. And this is not one of those, as any listeners of the show know. Though there's a lot of overlap in the audience. So we have a mutual friend, and and since. Um, 
since uh, Dr. Black has identified himself in this wrestling thing, I'm going to give a, a cheap plug to John Kiernan, who writes excellent entrance music for wrestlers, but I'm sure that the music he writes can be used in pretty much anyone who needs a theme for anything, whether you're a corporation looking to spice up your conference or uh, a comedian or, uh, you know, boxer, MMA, wrestler, anyone in show business, even if you're a magician and you want to you wanna give yourself a little bit of edge, he really personalized it. So free plug, he did not pay me for this. He didn't even ask me for this. He doesn't even know this is happening, but I appreciate everything he's done to do this. And, and uh, we try to help each other in the background as much as possible. So Kiernan, great guy, John Kiernan, check out his stuff. And he, and he actually works with one of your former stable mates a lot, uh, Monster Tarver. Uh, yes. Um, so Tarver, I've been begging him to do a song for me for years. You know, he's a, he's a very well-established Christian rapper. Uh, I love his voice. And I forget how we made this connection, but uh, John was working on something and I was like, do you mind if I pull him in to do, to do the, the, some of the choruses and stuff like this or the, the, the verses? And, you know, we went back and forth for probably about seven, eight to ten months. And what we came up with is really freaking cool. Excuse my language. You can curse. It's loud. I've been, I've been wrestling for 24 years now, and I think my current theme is by far my favorite theme that, that, that John has done. So if you guys heard that, please check it out. The song is really cool. It's on all platforms currently. It's on YouTube. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. It's everywhere. Yeah, he, I know that he really tries to put the, the character and the, the talent's interests and interests at heart. But I guess we're not here to talk about John, though. I'm sure he'd love it. Though, if folks, if you want to hear from John directly, uh, he was a guest on Hammerlock Hangover. Probably one of our first episodes. Probably it was like last November or December. So you can check that out. And he has his own podcast, so check that out. But we're here to go back into Africa because one of the interests that we share, obviously the audience of this show knows I have an interest in lore, mythology, religion, traditions. Anything that I don't know about, which sadly is a lot that I'm curious about, there's a pretty good chance that I'm interested in. And a lot of that, I hope, will be interesting to the audience. And if they're still listening at episode 52 by now, they, tr they trust me. So a few weeks ago, we had the host of the History of Africa on, Andy, and we were very appreciative of that, and we continue to be. Um, you know, but that was much more a straight academic um uh, podcast, which is cool too, because that's part of the difference. It's not all um, sort of mysticism and you know fringe, or you know we, we're a variety. Um, but that was we he, he did a great expose on the different linguistics and a lot of the different ethnic groups in Africa, and then we told a few stories. Uh, but this is going to be more of uh, stories. So one of the things that we're going to start with here is that. PJ asked me to look into a few things, he gave me a little homework, which is cool. I like that, and I and I did it. So uh, PJ is going to introduce us, uh, or at least he introduced me, to the Dogon tribe. Um, and I'm going to let you take it from here. Yeah, okay, let me see. Where do I start? Um, it's been a while since I've, been, since I've looked into this stuff or even talked about it, but if memory serves me correctly. So the Dogon tribe is a tribe in middle of Africa that, um, the, the priests are descendants, direct descendants from the Egyptian priests back in the day. So they have a lot of knowledge and they know a lot of things. Uh, one of the things that they believe in is uh, if you ask them, and you can go Google this, where do they get the knowledge from? And they will tell you from the dolphin people. 
And now I know this sounds really, really, really strange if this is the first time you've ever heard about it, but please look into that. So uh, they, have a, they have a lot of proof. They have a lot of sketches. They have a lot of stories from ancient. Um, they actually knew where certain planets in the sky were hundreds of years ago, which uh, modern-day science and astrologers only discovered maybe in the last 10, 15 years, which is phenomenal. And they talk about another one that's close to it yet discovered. Now, some of these beings came here in spaceships <laughs> looking like dolphins. So this is, this is coming from the Dogen priest, by the way. So the way he explains it is the, the ship, like a spaceship, like you would see in a cartoon, flying saucer, would land. There would be a laser that, sh that shot a, um, that, that dug a hole in front of it, poured water into it, and then these dolphin people <laughs> jumped into the water and they somehow communicated with, with the, the, the Dogons. Um, it, it's really fascinating, and they talk about the, the dolphin planets. And I mean, that's, this is just one of the things that the Dogons talk about. They talk about like ancient medicines. And um, I have, I've traveled around the world. The, the new character that I'm doing is kind of like a shaman character. So I've been trying to study uh, some shamans from around the world and different tribes, you know, like the, the South America and the South Africa, North Africa, even the. Um, the Aborigines in Australia. And one thing that I find is they all have their own versions of ceremonies, you know, especially medicine. Like we all know about ayahuasca in North Africa, it's the Iboga medicine. Um, I'm getting a little bit off track now, but I, I promise I'll tie this all back in together. Sorry, we, we, we can, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll take notes. Ayahuasca, I will, I'm gonna take a note of it. I, yeah, ayahuasca, that's like a, it's like a medicine that will, uh, you know, Expose you to the other side, if you will. You know, it's a, it's like a like a peyote, like a it, it'll help free your spiritual side. Exactly, exactly. And every tribe has their own version. You know, like we have the iboga in North Africa, in South America, it's, it's DMT and ayahuasca. Um, you know, there's this is there's a peyote. There's oh, there's so many, there's so many. But anyway, if you speak to the dog and all the other tribes about it, if you ask them, and remember, these guys don't know each other at all. If you ask them, where did they learn this stuff? Where did they get the formulas for this? Because ayahuasca is a combination of two different plants that they have to put together uh, from the Amazon. And remember, in the Amazon, there's 190,000 plants. So how did they know to, to combine these two or these three plants? How did they know that? So when you ask all of them, even the Aborigines, if you ask them, where did you guys get these formulas from? They all say the same thing. And they don't know each other. And they all say, the people from the stars showed us. Yeah, we, we have to tell the, listen, listen, nerds out there, they didn't have Dr. Strange out there telling them there's a 1 in 14 million chance, and somehow they got we got the 1 in 14 million chance where Iron Man was able to defeat Thanos um, or get the, the thing. So 1 out of 190,000, you can say trial and error, but that's a lot of trial and error. That's a lot of people trying and, and erring for a long time. I would think after a while, normal human nature, you know, you keep trying to bite a cactus and, and you keep, you know, cutting up the inside of your mouth. At some point you're going to say, yeah, this is not the way to go, dude. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I did, I did some research on the Dogen people, obviously, because you had asked me to. And so it's funny because I, I came across the, 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 their priests do say that they are descendants from the Egyptian people. And it's interesting because their history, it, it's, it's really rather unclear. And I think people make of it what they want to like. So some people say it's one tribe, Others say it was just a, uh, an accumulation of tribes who were resisting 
the Arabian uh, invasions into North Africa, and they were resisting becoming uh, converted to Islam. And so they were sort of a bunch of people who got together, like Balsar Galactica, like colonies who came together and sort of formed against this this escarpment, this ridge, you know, sort of where the Sahara meets, I guess, sub-Sahara, or, or maybe the reverse, where the Sahara meets sort of the... Um, uh, the, the livable parts of Northern Africa. So I, I'm not clear which one, but yeah, I, I saw the dolphin people. I also saw like sort of mermaids or almost like uh, crocodilians, but whatever it was is that they, they could come onto the land and they sort of like their tails allowed them to sort of stand upright. And yeah, the communication, but it's funny how you said that the laser cut it and they basically terraformed it. To, you know, with their version of water that they could live in, I, I guess it was fresh water instead of salt water, or the reverse, or maybe some different combination, who knows. But I guess we don't mind now because they would have uh, found it in, in the ground. But it's funny because, you know, usually when you think about a laser that cuts a hole, you sort of think of uh, like a, a mine or like a, a giant... Um, uh, what am I trying to say? What are those things uh, where they dig out a quarry? Um, you know, the sort of in circle looks like a giant screw was put into the earth. And that's funny because what I sent you earlier, the recut structure, the eye of Mauritania, looks like a giant screwdriver went into the earth, except it's 25 miles in diameter. So that really is a giant screwdriver. So, so that's your homework. You'll, you'll see that. And, I, and I'm sure it's going to take you down a rabbit hole. I, I believe a lot of people believe that was one of the Atlantic cities, right? Atlantis. Yes, some people believe it's, it, it is Atlantis as well. And then a friend of mine um, said, you know, have you ever heard the hurricane myths of Africa? And I haven't. Uh, but then when he told me it, I had heard it. Um, and it's that all hurricanes sort of originate uh, and they follow the original slave route, which was basically from northern, you know, the western part of northern Africa to the Caribbean and into the Americas. Um, you know, and it could go in a bunch of different directions, just like, uh, you know, the actual uh, slave route went, which is, I think maybe they took the existing weather patterns and adopted it to, to the myth rather than the other way around. But if you look at the eye of uh, Mauritania and the shape of it, it is that nebula shape that hurricanes follow also. So it's sort of a cool image to, to think that hurricanes come out of there and it is some sort of vengeance of the continent uh it is a colorful image though again i'm pretty sure the hurricanes existed more than you know, you know past five six seven hundred years ago well the americas were later but yeah, and, and who knows like if, if that was atlantis or one of the cities of atlantis because i'm sure atlantis was out over half the planet you know people think it was just one city or it just existed in one corner of the of the planet I, am, I mean, I think it existed in many corners, like the, the Earth has chakras. If you, you can also follow that, I don't know if you've looked into that. Mm -hmm. the, the, and and a, a very fascinating story. Like, it, it, it's funny that they, they try and pass it off as a, as a myth. I mean, you know, obviously we haven't found the sunken city, we haven't found the treasure, but I don't think we'll ever find it in our lifetimes because who knows how long ago that was. You know, like we... How long do we know? We know of our history from like what, maybe six, seven thousand years ago. People still think the pyramids are like twelve thousand years old, or the Sphinx is like eighteen thousand years old. Now, I, I recently heard something that someone thought that some archaeologists thought that the Sphinx was fifty, sixty thousand years old. So who, who really knows? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I'm with you on the Atlantis thing. I've never thought that Atlantis was one place, and if it was, you know, why only one city? You know, as the 
Mu or Lemuria myths and, you know, the sort of great civilizations in other parts of the world. And we know that in the Atlantis myth itself, they went to war with a great power in the East and lost. So there was at least one other culture that rivaled them. So, you know, right now we've got New York, we have Los Angeles, we have London, we have Paris, we have Tokyo, we have Beijing. I mean, just like now that there's many cities that are that are centers and powers, why wouldn't there be many cities? They may or may not have been um, related to Atlantis, or like like you said, Atlantis could be could could have been one culture with many uh, cities around the world. But yeah, so the Eye of Mauritania ties into all that. But it, there's you know a lot of that is fun, but I guess we stray. But yeah, so the the, the Dogon. They they knew a lot about uh, astronomy and and they and apparently they've known some of this since 3200 BC at least that that's how far can be tracked which is 5221 years to those of you trying to keep score at home or even if you're alone um, and that was way before there were any telescopes and it's pretty hard to see some of these things with the naked eye but they knew a lot about the planets. Now, they didn't get it entirely right, but they knew that Saturn had rings. They knew that Jupiter had at least four moons. Now, we now know that Jupiter has much more than four moons, but we but we don't know how many moons Jupiter are. And this, it has. In this year alone, we discovered four new moons of Jupiter. So they're working with the naked eye, and we have, like, the Hubble telescope. But the most interesting part is that they identified that the Dogen came from the Ceres star system, the, which is the brightest star in the sky, at least for most of the world, if not all of it, um, and that it was a triple star system. Well, until recently, we only knew about Ceres or Sirius. Um, and we now know 100% fact that there is a second star, that there is Ceres B. Um, and many scientists have posited that there could be Ceres C as a dwarf sun in there as well because of some of the difference in how the light oscillates or, or or gets to us and it explains some of the extreme the reason why Sirius is the brightest star is partly explained by its sort of extreme twinkling I probably these are not technical words obviously but it is entirely likely that it is a triple star system and if we find that that third star that that's pretty amazing stuff and it'll be more amazing that the Dogons know knew about all Stuff and they don't have any technology. I mean, you can you can go visit the Dogons to this day in, in in Africa, and they still do ceremonies. I mean, they still live in huts. They don't have any technology or anything like they don't have telescopes. They still tell the stories. They still do the the traditional dances. I don't know if you looked into that, but they do the uh, you know like how they dress up as the like the gods or the aliens. You want to call them? They still do the ceremonies. They still dance around the fire. They still um, I don't know if you, if you if you haven't seen that, please look into that. It's very fascinating how they wear the uh, I don't know even know what you would call that uh, the 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 war the war paint and the masks and the, from these like dope from these uh, re uh, reptile and dolphin people and uh, it's, it's really a fascinating story. And there's so much more that they do know that is almost impossible to know if you do not if you don't have the technology. And you know every day. Scientists go there all the time to get some information from them, but when they come back, they just go, this is way too out there to even possibly be true. And then years later, modern-day science proves them right. 
Yeah, it's true. And and the usual response was, well, they got this information from Europeans who, you know, went into Africa, you know, 500 years ago, 600 years ago. The, the problem was, is that the scientists, uh, the Europeans and the scientists who went into Africa at this time and encountered them didn't have this information. It, it was not known yet. Um, and we also know that now that other cultures had this knowledge, the Egyptians, the Persians, uh, a lot of the Mesoamerican cultures, uh, the, the, the Europeans are, were sort of late to the party or acquired the knowledge, lost it, and then reacquired it. Um, but whatever it was, the time period when the initial, you know, we'll just call it the m- m- more innocent European content, uh, contact in Africa, that, that that information was not widely known to the greatest scholars. And, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a pretty well-versed student in history, but usually the first people who go into a continent are not the academics. I mean, it's usually the soldiers and the gold seekers and the merchants. I mean, the academics come later. They may have one doctor with them or someone that's going to, you know, maybe be a language linguistics expert so they can communicate or a diplomat. But it, it's usually not your your eggheads, you know, in, in from university that, that goes in there. So, yeah, the Dogon, really interesting stuff. And, you know, for those of you who are aware of the, you know, QAnon stuff and the pre-QAnon stuff and really something that goes, this is millennial is that there's always been sort of this fear or myth of reptilians uh you know and and i don't want to get into the 10 bloodlines and this and the other thing but you know uh, you know could could these dolphin mer people sort of be reptilians sure could they be a different kind i mean you know a, a dolphin isn't a reptilian but you know certainly you know if you're looking for a description of a person you know uh, and you don't want to call them a crocodile, <laughs> you know, maybe you go with a dolphin instead or a porpoise. Anyway, plenty of stuff there. And there's yeah. also some other fascinating things on that. Think about it. Like you get, you get good people and you get evil people, right? And, and even in politics, you get people that are good, that are bad in sports, in, in anything, right? So if there were any reptiles around, I'm sure there are good ones and there are bad ones. They were the dolphins. I'm sure there are good ones and there are bad ones. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people mistaken when they, when they call someone a reptile. It's not that they think he's an actual reptile. When, when you call someone a reptile brain, it just means that they function from the subconscious mind where there's no emotional feeling, right? They're just caught, kind of cold-blooded and they have no respect for other human life, you know? But I mean, it's not a, a completely different topic. I mean, I, I still believe that there are reptilian blood on this planet. And uh, if you listen to the Dogon talk about the dolphins and the dolphin planet, they talk about a, a dolphin planet with dolphin and, dolphins and whales are much, much, much higher conscious than, than human beings. And then they talk about the planet that they come from, and a planet that's full, full of water, and there's one piece of land on there. Um, I forget what, that, what they call that planet, but I'll, I'll send you some links to that. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Um, all right. So how about the Zulu? Apparently they have some similar beliefs or at least a, a similar belief that, that they are, that they originate from another planet as well. Yeah. So, uh, growing up in South Africa, many people don't know this, but we have 12 national languages because there were 12 tribes, um, you know, before the, the, the Dutch settlers and the Portuguese settlers got to South Africa, we had the, the Corsas and the, the Zulus and the, the Tepis and so many other tribes. Um, one of the, a lot of people are familiar with Shaka Zulu. Sure. And that story. So the Zulus believe that they came to this planet on Merkaba, which is, you know, which is 
So Merkaba is a, an energy field around the body that everybody has apparently, every cell on the planet actually has. But if you if you are a, a very high spiritual being, you are able to travel it. That's the difference between ETs and UTs. ETs, extraterrestrials, come can travel through time and space with technology, right? They use spaceships and stuff like that. Well, while a UT is an ultra-terrestrial, which is like a, the, the angels and the archangels and stuff like that. They can just, they know how to switch on the Merkaba and they can travel without technology. So the, the Zulu people believe that they came here in a, in a massive Merkaba controlled by, I forgot what being, one of the archangels. And they, they believe that they got dropped off in, in mid-Africa. And you can talk to any of the, uh, the shamans or the priests told today, and they, they, they stick to that story. They have a lot of detail in it. They try not to mix with the Western world and tell them that stuff because, you know, you know what will happen. People will just laugh at them. Um, oh, wait, slightly off topic, but all this info that is kind of lost to us is actually does exist somewhere. And this is another, I guess some people will call it a conspiracy theory, but uh, underneath the Vatican City, they have a library that stretches 53 miles long. That's bigger than the Vatican City. I'm sure you've heard about that. And the stuff they have in there, they probably have all the stuff in there because to get into that library, right, you have to be a pretty, pretty educated PhD in, I forget what, but you can request to go in there to do some research, but you have to know exactly what you're looking for. Like, say, for instance, you want to look up the, the Dogen uh, history, you, you can, you have to put in a request and it takes years and you, and you get to go into the library and they only, you can only go into that little section, which they direct you to. You're not allowed to go look around in the other 53 miles. Can you imagine what else they have there? Um, and then if you get there and you do your research and you fall, you find out that that was the wrong section, you have to leave and you have to do that whole process again, which sometimes can take years, which is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a ludicrous system. So it's almost like they're trying to hide all this this information from modern day man. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of uh, lore and and suspicions around the Vatican Library, but uh, good for the Vatican. They don't care. <laughs> they're, they're not concerned. They're 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 keeping that under lock and key, um, which makes it great for conspiracy and, and stories. Even even the NBC show Manifest, they they said that the Vatican sent a piece of driftwood from. Uh, Mount Ararat or Arafat, where they th they thought it was Ararat. I'm sorry, where you know it's supposed to be the resting place of Noah's Ark. So, uh, not not much not about anything, but yeah, you, there's you know always what's in the Vatican and how much of the Library of Alexandria found its way to the Vatican and how much of the Templar treasure and you know and the treasure might not have been you know all material treasure might have been knowledge treasure as well and books and things like that. Books, writing was held to, you know, very, uh, very small sliver of people, uh, you know, through lots of history, right? Writing is a relatively new thing for um, reading and writing period for, you know, sort of masses. Uh, I mean, in, in many religions, it was, it was illegal for anyone other than the priest class to uh, uh, know how to read or write and know how to decipher anything that was, uh, took away the power. But yeah, there was something that you said about this. Oh, it was the, uh, what did you say? The Mercado, was that the word that you used? The Merkaba. So Merkaba. People, people that meditate, they, they kind of, they learn how to switch on that. You must have seen it before. Maybe, here, actually, I have one. One second. I'm, one, it, one that I made, I made a, an origami piece of paper. This is what it looks like. You must have seen this. 
This is what the Merkaba looks like. Oh yeah, sure. It's it's like a three-dimensional six-pointed star, almost like a like a Star of David or the Rastafarian star. Uh, exactly. exactly. That's where all the, the Star of David stuff comes from too. Because remember, they they followed followed that, which a lot of people believe. So when when they when a UT switch on their Merkabas, that's what it looks like. So that's what you will an angel will actually look like. It'll just look like a light in that in that uh, shape in that form. And there are actually meditations. And again, this is slightly off topic, but uh, you can go and study and learn how to switch this on because every living cell on this on this planet has a Merkaba, like an energy field around it. And so these are two little triangles and the one is supposed to spin a certain way and the other one's supposed to spin another way. And if there's anybody that understands physics, that's exactly how an atom works too, right? Because nothing, nothing in this universe stands still like we are taught to believe everything moves. So there's a way that this thing can move and you can take your actual physical body into the spirit realm, which might be another topic for another day, but <laughs> sure, absolutely. That and there's nothing that's off topic and this is all completely related. But that's really cool. I I I, I didn't know that the three dimensional star David David was called a Merkaba and I didn't know that it was sort of the vessel or the shape that the that the Merkaba is I guess the Merkaba is inside of you and you and it's throughout the universe and you harness it and it becomes sort of like your it, it takes the form of looking like the vehicle, but it's not you're doing it yourself. You're just harnessing the energy. That's just the form that it the sort of like the chrysalis that it takes. Uh it takes that form. So you said the archangels did so is it the same archangels from Old Testament, New Testament, uh, or is it beings that existed that were adopted into the New Testament, uh, Old Testament? Because, because I can't imagine the, the the Zulus when they came up with this were Christians, or or that you know I dare say Christianity didn't even exist yet. Right, and who knows? I I feel like. I grew up a Christian, first of all, um, but, you know, as I got older, I started questioning things and I started looking into other religions, if you will, and I started looking into all this stuff, and that's how I came across all this stuff, but uh, who knows? I feel like, I almost feel like Christianity borrowed a lot of their stories and a lot of the ancient Egypt stories and a lot of stories around the world and kind of just made up, because let's face it, my mom's going to hate me for saying this, but religion is man-made. It's, it's made up by man. It didn't come from a higher source like spirituality or anything. Religion is just, it's, it's man-made. So we made it up from stories that we put together that we heard from the Dogans and Egyptians and, and other places. And, you know, a lot of it from Egypt and who knows where else. Yeah, who knows where the, where the Egyptians got it from too. I mean, okay, there, there might have been others. We, I mean, we're, I mean, conventional wisdom and science tells us that, that humans in, in our present or close to present form uh, started in East Africa. And I, and I think that's what most people still believe. But they still find little snippets here and there of, of hominins uh, that may have been, you know, almost as old or just as old. So that story still isn't uh, completely written. But we're going we're gonna to stick to at least that we believe it was in East Africa, meaning to say that that while Egypt is sort of in East Africa, uh, there's parts of Africa that are further east, and uh, and so who knows who started the the religions first? I mean, for all we know, it could have been in Djibouti. I just like saying Djibouti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? There's, a, there's another thing that I read the other day that planet Earth only has ten thousand years of sunshine and ninety thousand years of ice age. 
So, I mean, it kind of makes sense where a lot of these things have been destroyed during the Ice Age and how just little pockets of the world survived, you know, like the, like the, the Dogans maybe or the, the guys in Mesopotamia or in South Mexico, what, you know, the Aztecs. There are pockets of tribes that existed everywhere. And there's different folklore, different myths about this stuff. But, I mean, if you, if you think about it that way, it kind of makes sense that every 90,000 years, we're 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 in the cusp right now. We're at the end of that ten thousand years. So, uh, I don't know if you read up about the poles that's supposed to shift, right? Every twenty thousand sure. years or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I I doubt that we'll see that in our lifetimes. But who? Pr and steel theories. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you can go look back into that stuff, and you know, the the stuff exists, and it's true. The fact that modern day science is trying to steer us away from that or tell us that these are myths and not true that to me that's a massive red flag you know well the polarity shift is is i I mean i believe that's considered to be scientific dogma at this point whether it happens swiftly or whether it happens very slowly i I think is part of the uh, debate that that's you know completely unsettled and how that affects tectonics and the move the movement of Oceans and continents and land masses and the you know water levels, I think it's still completely unknown. Um, but it, it's you know for those people who saw Kong versus Godzilla and then maybe some other stuff where they go into the hollow earth and they hit that gravity inversion point, that's what they're talking about where where the polarities shift. Um, so whichever whichever hemisphere or side you're coming from, the polarity shifts. So uh, you know all of a sudden you're you know, gravity has gone one direction and it's going in the other direction. And, uh, the, you know, they, they created these crafts to counter for that. Anyway, so it, it's, it's fine. When, when we were talking about the Merkaba, you know, at first I thought about the Bifrost from Thor and Asgard, which obviously is, is imperfect. Then I thought about the Star Trek uh, um, transporter, which is a little bit closer, but it's still controlled by human technology, which... You know, if you take thought and call it thought its own, you know, if you say our brains are uh, quantum computers, okay, fine. And then I came up with, and, and I don't watch this show. I, I think I probably watched it every now and then when I was sick at home and there was like really no other choice except for the news and game shows. Doctor Who, where they would go into that, um, was a telephone booth, one of those old British ones where you, you closed yourself in and then the light would come on. So I'm, I'm, I think that's the image I'm going to stick with in my mind. Uh, as opposed to the, the sort of the spinning uh, multi-angle. Well, now I have a little dreidel in my mind spinning. Then when the you know you spin a dreidel fast enough, it you know you can't tell where the edges are. And you know what? That sort of looks like a Merkaba. Hey, that's a funny thing you said there. That the, the brain is a quantum computer. That is very true, and we can scientifically prove now that the brain, a thought, is a scalar, is a scalar wave, a scalar energy, right? So we can scientifically prove now that. Um, thoughts can create matter because scalar waves can create matter. There's a doctor called Dr. Joe Dispenza. If anyone has ever heard of him, I've read all his books. He's fantastic. He, he teaches this stuff and he, he invented, you know, the, what's the brain machine, the EKG that they hook up to your brain. And they uh, have, have physically proven that the, that thoughts can create matter. And it's like how manifestation works. Obviously, it's not instant, like, oh, I think the brain and it, and it happens, right? You have to obviously take the steps. Uh, to, to, to explain that in a simple way, um, think about this. Everything stems from thought, everything. Like Steve Jobs, say, for example, had the idea of the iPhone, right? That was a thought first. Then he had to go through the process, find the, find the people to make that a reality. 
So, I mean, I mean, that's the long version, but there, there's definitely a way that people can do, maybe in ancient times, there was a, a shorter um, timeline for that scalar wave to become a physical thing. And maybe maybe the ETs and the UTs have that, I would call it technology, but maybe the, the spiritual knowing of how to manifest things instantly. But, you know, so far, you know, people think that it's all BS, but I mean, modern day science has proven all these things. We just... As, as humans, we're still so far behind that we just don't know how to actually do that on a daily basis. Because that, that's why we have so many distractions. Because we have television and politics and all this other stuff distracting us from, from these things. I, I believe that all humans have these abilities. If you think about it, when you, when you meditate, right, you, you put yourself in theta brainwaves. And that's when you like download knowledge from the universe. Um, the first seven years of a kid's life is in theta brainwaves. Um, that's why, like, look at a kid, like, they learn stuff so quickly, they're like sponges, they absorb everything quickly. And once they hit seven years, it's almost like they go into beta brainwashing, where, where they, not to use the word brainwashing or social engineering, but that's when, you know, their surroundings take over. They, 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 they are taught to believe what we, what we believe, you know, like, that this is the way. Um, and you can actually look into this too. Like, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of schools in Russia that teach people these abilities because all kids are born with the abilities to be um, psychic and, and telepathic in a, in a way. Yeah, the, you know, I'm sure there's some people out there going, oh, it just sounds like a, you know, inspirational, motivational speaker or, or a physical, you know, a personal trainer saying, if you can visualize it, you can do it. But it has been in the within the last year or two, there have been tons of articles from scientific scholars, from researchers who have shown they can track a thought. They can track a thought as it travels through your brain. There's also been research that shows that after your, your, your body is dead, they can still track energy and, and things that might be thought coming out of your brain, which you know could be the, the scientific basis of a soul. So for those of you who are strict scientists, um, it's a false choice. It can be both. The, the thought itself is, you know, our brains feed on energy. Yes, they feed on electricity. So it causes energy. The energy can take forms. And, you know, I, I think what PJ is saying is that some people, some beings, better know how to harness the, their own energy and project it outside of themselves into a form more, you know, certainly better than we know how to do. There are probably humans who can do it uh, better or in different ways than we do uh, presently. Maybe those are shamans. Maybe those are mediums. Maybe those are those are the Steve Jobses of the world who make things happen. Maybe that's what Alexander the Great. Who knows? Uh, we're you know we're just throwing things out there. But there's definitely science behind it that, that thought creates energy, and energy is matter. Um, so. So it, it's uh, 100% true. So a society that's 10,000, 100,000, a million years older than ours, perhaps they look like gods. And really, is there really much different if they have godlike powers? I mean, you know, why, why not consider them gods? They, they may as well be. We may as well be god to the ant beneath our feet. So uh, why not? So anyway, I, now I go on one of my famous digressions. <laughs> I love um, it. Cool. Well, good. I'm glad. Um, so you're from South Africa. So 
I recently became exposed to a guy named Michael Tellinger, and I've, I've looked at some of his work. I heard him on uh, an Earth Ancients shout-out to uh, episode 50, which Cliff Dunning from Earth Ancients was kind enough to be on. Um, and I've actually reached out to Mr. Tellinger to see if he'd be on the show, and he's, he's uh, said, yeah, contact me in a few months. We'll talk about it, um, which maybe a polite no, or maybe I'll think about it. Anyway, but I've seen him on Gaia. I've seen him on some other shows. I've read some of his articles, and he's also from South Africa. And he has a lot of stories about the stone circles and the Anunnaki in South Africa. So I know about the Anunnaki in Sumeria, Babylon, Iraq, Iran, uh, and also in India, which seem to be the same Anunnaki uh, as from uh, Babylonia, Sumeria, uh, though I'm not 100% on that. I had not heard about South Africa until I heard Michael Tellinger's talks on it. So, but you brought it up almost immediately. That was like one of the first things that we talked about, uh, where instantly I knew we'd be best friends. So, yeah, the, the Arunaki story is, is very fascinating. So, years and years, like I dived deep into that even before I heard of Mr. Tellinger's work, uh, which is fascinating, by the way. I, I really want to dive deeper into that, and I believe that he is discovered some really, really cool things lately. That's maybe why he wants to put off this interview because he wants to make sure his findings are in order, you know, before he, he tells people about it. So I definitely look forward to that interview. Um, from my understanding, the Anunnaki, same as it comes back to when I said that there are good beings and bad beings. I feel like the Anunnaki, there were some good guys and there were some bad guys and they kind of like maybe went their separate ways. We, we do know the two brothers, is it Enlil and Enki? Thank you. Yeah, one was the good brother, one was the bad brother, one was fighting for the humans, the other one wanted to enslave them, and blah, blah, blah. Maybe they branched off the uh, the stone circles. They believe, I'm not sure if it was Mr. Tellinger, but I, one of these guys believed that Inky's lab, where they created one of the versions of Adam and Eve, that's very controversial if you're a Christian, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they, they have found in the stone circle in South Africa, which kind of makes sense because um, one of the stories is that the Anunnaki came here to mine gold, and, and they or they created the human race to mine gold for their technology or whatever. And, and we all know that South Africa is one of the, the hotbeds for gold and diamonds on the planet. So, I mean, that, that kind of makes sense, but that, that theory could also just be tied to that story after the fact. Who knows? Yeah, well, the Anunnaki are said to, you know, sort of always be where the gold is, and apparently they needed gold to uh, do their interstellar travel, or maybe that gold is somehow tied to that Merkaba you were talking about, because maybe they harnessed that. Um, But yeah, I I had no idea that the Anunnaki were in Africa, and and ever since I uh, heard those pieces, I looked into it a little bit longer, and there are Anunnaki-like myths in South America as well. I mean... Every place that you would expect, there's the name, the word might not be used, but it's sort of a similar description in a similar situation. And for certain groups of Christians, uh, certain evangelicals, they would probably be offended by the Adam and Eve part, but they, those who did adopt the, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Book of Enoch and some of that stuff as part of, uh, as canon, they could easily substitute Eve for Lilith, who is the mother of monsters, and you know, and you know, Adam just didn't know any better. So, it, it, what, what, one of my goals in this is to try to take things where people could easily find offense and say, "Listen, it's a false choice." You know, you ever play the game Operator when you're in first or second grade? The story changes 
even, you know, over 24 kids. So imagine 24 millennia, uh, you know, or longer than that. So, you know, you know, some people believe Lilith was there too, and she was called the mother of monsters. So, yeah, why can't she be a parable? Why can't she be an allegory? Uh, you know, even if you don't think Adam and Eve are allegory, maybe Eve was the one they got right, and Adam was the one that they got uh, right as well. But uh, Lilith was the one that was wrong. But yeah, the, one of the myths of the Anunnaki is that they uh, were tinkering to try to get the perfect, well, basically workforce. I guess it will say politely to mine the gold for them. I mean, I mean, even the benevolence. Uh, Anunnaki. I mean, that was still the end goal was to have a labor force. He just wanted the labor force to be treated better. Uh, you know, I, I guess it's sort of like the organic, sustainable uh, food movement. You know, the cows are still getting killed. You still, we're still eating the meat, but they can, they at least can live the life that they sort of naturally do. Um, you know, the people would would live their normal lives, but they were still working for the Anunnaki at the end of the day. So uh, I, I don't know. But I guess that's sort of socialism, huh? They are you. you <laughs> Right, exactly. And, and maybe if all of these stories are true, I don't think they ever left this planet. They just hide themselves and disguise themselves. And maybe as politicians, who knows? <laughs> or maybe they, they have some kind of control over the politicians. But if you think about it, we're, we're still kind of, I don't want to use the word slaves, but you know, people say this is a slave planet. But it, sometimes it feels like it, right? Because it doesn't feel like we have freedom. Because you, you cannot actually do whatever you want think about it like you have to pay your taxes you have to do this you have to live on the grid like all, all these things it, it kind of feels like we're in a in a prison planet and if you read any of the works by what's what's the guy that wrote all the books on the anunnaki uh, all that, yes i mean if you if you read all that stuff it kind of feels like we're still in that system doesn't it yeah it's st it, uh or i'm sorry Sitchin. s-i-t-c-h-i-n yeah let me see i i have, I have, a, I have a really extensive book collection because I don't own a television. Oh, cool. I, I have some really cool books. This is Tesla's favorite book. Uh, there we go. That's Mr. Stitchin, one of his books. Yep, the 12th planet. Uh-huh. I have the Anunnaki Chronicles. Okay. Yeah, fascinating stuff. I, I, I've yet to dive more into his work, but I kind of get distracted by... Right now, I'm on a Tesla kick. I'm kind of trying to learn everything that Tesla learned and reading all his favorite books. <laughs> Well, when we were talking, I, when I said that, it almost sounds like socialism. I, that was like a little light bulb moment for me because I was always trying to figure out why the people who really were, you know, seriously, earnestly, sincerely afraid of these, you know, the, these bloodlines and and the the one government, the new world order stuff, where where how they were tying it into socialism. And I mean, I don't know if this is the tie-in, but. I just if, if you if you believe all of it and you believe it all the way to the origin, well, that is socialism. Maybe it's benevolent socialism, but uh, I guess if the other brother got his way, it, it wouldn't have been so much benevolence. Well, I, the other brother wanted to kill us all and start over again, but <laughs> but who, whoever came next that was acceptable enough, they would have been you know pure slaves. And the, their father didn't care. He's like, just get me the gold, boys. Don't bother me. I'm watching. He's like, I'm watching the game. It's just, you know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that on a T-shirt. Actually, um, <laughs> uh, benevolent socialism. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, it's a, I, I tell everyone that I, I, I'm willing to work for meatball parmesan money. Um, <laughs> Are you Italian? 
<laughs> uh, no, but I'm from, well, I guess it's from, I'm from New York. And the reason I laugh at that is because I haven't lived in New York since I'm 17 years old and I'm, I'm going to be 53 soon. But New York is one of those places that if you're from New York, you're never not from New York. You're always from New York. Uh, one of your ancestors is probably Italian or Irish. Uh, yeah, well, not mine, um, further east, but, um, you know, uh, basically everyone I grew up around was either Italian, Irish, or Irish-German, which, I mean, if you look back far enough, they're, they're sort of the same thing, um, or Jewish. Um, that, that was pretty much, you know, 95% of the people around me and around, you know, uh, most of the surrounding towns. Um, so, yeah, much Italian, much Irish uh, in, in my uh, formative years. And, and for the most part, all good. Um, cool stuff. Um, yeah, I don't even know how we got on that. But, that, yeah, benevolent socialism, feel free. I, I, I hope it sells very well. Just uh, put, like, Garden of Doom on there somewhere. <laughs> you got it. Garden of Doom. I'm going to write this down. Yeah, I, I don't want money. I just want fame. I just want. I just want to be famous. I want my 15 minutes. I want to say that I became a star at 53. That's really exciting. Or 52. I'm still 52, so we can we can rush it. Um, when I looked into some of the African myths, I was I was sort of dumbstruck that the the role of jackal is eerily similar to the role of coyote, sort of in the southwestern myths, and and the description is sort of like a sly fox, which sort of in you know, European and sort of the northern part of North America. And I don't know, like the trickster. It's like ev every culture, religion, it always has like the trickster, you know, this Loki, uh, you know, probably the most famous one now, thanks to the, the blessed uh, MCU, which I, I love dearly. Um, but yeah, Jackal was like always sort of like, you know, sort of like lead, giving people enough truth and then sort of pulling the rug out from, from under them. Sort of like Lucy holding the ball for Charlie Brown every time. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the, the current government <laughs> you know, like they, they just keep keep pulling the ball away from us, <laughs> dangling the carrot. <laughs> well, I feel that way about a lot of things, um, <laughs> including Zack Snyder and Justice League. Um, Did you like that, by the way? Okay. I have a very complicated relationship with it. The, the short answer is no, because it was over four hours, and that's just way too long, long for any movie. Um the first Justice League was, the original one was abysmal, horrible, terrible, terrible movie. I tried to watch it a second time to see if I got it all wrong. I couldn't make it through. So I'm like, no, it stinks. The, the Zack Snyder cut was better. So I made a terrible movie into an okay movie, but it was too long, which made it below okay. So I would give it a like a three and a half or four out of 10. If, they, if, if he used an editor, you know, maybe it would have been higher up there. He left in some of the bad stuff and some of the stuff like like at the end that end sequence was cool, but that was a different movie. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It, it didn't fit. See, I, I have a slightly different perspective. I I really enjoy it. If you look at it from a storytelling perspective, the way he told the story, like you know, the first one kind of felt rushed and they left pieces out. The reason why he left bad pieces in there was, I mean, if he had to redo the whole, he probably wouldn't have done that. I feel like just he's. That just matched his way of storytelling. For me, like the, the transitions he used, and like it was just fantastic. If, from a storytelling point of view, that movie to me was a ten. But like you said, like everything else involved, I would probably yeah, probably five or six. But 
storytelling point of view, man, that was just a piece of work to me. I, I, I just loved it. I loved every bit of it. And my best friend did all the stunts on that, so maybe I'm biased. <laughs> yeah, you know, but you're allowed to be. It's, it's, it's fine. I mean, you know, whenever you have a personal relationship to a movie and to the people, you should do it. And, I mean, isn't that sort of the trick of wrestling and, and wrestlers using social media properly now? It's like everyone's a fan of everyone. And, and you know, I mean, it's a blessing and it's a curse because there's no good guys and bad guys because you're sort of like everybody now if they if they do social media correctly. But um, and that, That's true, but if you think about it, the, the good wrestlers, like the guys who are over to for lack of a better term, they are usually the, the good storytellers, whether they are the good guy or the bad guy. They, you know, they stick to that narrative, with whether they're the good guy or bad guy. Because right now, everybody knows what wrestling is. So, you know, maybe I'll play a really good bad guy on TV, but I'll go on Twitter and be like, hey, guys, look at the sunshine or <laughs> whatever it is. You know? You're right. <laughs> exactly. If you stick to that narrative and you are really good at storytelling, that's, that's, you, you're miles ahead of anyone else. And unfortunately, these days, there's not a lot of guys that can do that in wrestling. And then the guys that, that do that are, will be super over. So if anybody wants to hear my full thoughts on the Zack Snyder Justice League, uh, almost in the immediacy of saying it, on YouTube, on Unpopular Review, there's there's called the Caden Cut, who is one of the co-hosts, Caden, K-A-D-E-N. And we talked for about an hour about how we thought that the Justice League is it's like it's hyperbolic but it was a movie sort of riddled with with holes and i don't think it was anything you know unusual but i mean basically i felt like they they took dark side and they just you know they stole thanos and i mean it's like all, all the scenes you know they took the war scene and it was basically yeah, lord really, of the rings <laughs> thanos actually came after that's what people say in the comics but once the move once the movie cinema is out you can't put it into yours and call it original. And and the war in the beginning, it was literally like the end of the Hobbit, where it was the battle of the five armies, where all the. So uh, we don't need to do that again. But it, it's it's you know again, it was a great. I I will agree with the premise that there is a great cinematic universe somewhere in Zack Snyder's brain, if he was given. 12 or 15 or 20 movies like Marvel gave Kevin Feige to do. Um, but let's face it, he botched his chance with Batman versus Superman and the original Justice League. And so, um, and, you know, I know some people love Man of Steel. I thought 50% of it was good, but I thought 50% of it was terrible. And you just can't do that. You can't, you can't make a movie about Superman 50% terrible. That's true. I mean, Zack Snyder is a genius. I would love to, to for the, the movie, uh, movie studio to give him full, complete creative control and see what he comes up with. Um, I mean, I don't think that'll ever happen, but can you imagine? I could see like a Netflix doing that, but Warner Brothers owns DC. So unless they're going to spin that off and, and that's probably more than Netflix can afford because, you know, Netflix is either really in the black or they're really in the red. It's like never anything in the middle. It's like they're all over the place. Uh, and they seem... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, they seem to be, they seem to be ditching all their high expense content i know i know what a, what a crazy time have you ever heard anything about i don't i don't know even know what the word is but say the anunnaki right now they are still in control i say these these beings they have to show the humans what they're doing to us right and they disclose a lot of things in movies and that's why they they, they hide certain things in movies sometimes you know anything about that I don't, but it, it does tie into sort of the, the Hollywood tie-in thing. Uh, but no, I, I don't know enough to, to, to speak on that. I mean, I, you know, 
I guess I, I've never looked into it, but I, you know, my knee jerk reaction would be like, that's possible. And then based on what I'm talking about, it's, you know, it might, maybe it's a probable, but at the same time, there's people like you and me talking about this stuff. So why wouldn't filmmakers and artists also latch onto this and incorporate that into their stories? And, but who knows? I mean, listen, what, what, what's the fun in things being innocent coincidences? Exactly. Like, I don't think there are any coincidences. And maybe, I, maybe I'll look, we'll both look more into that, and maybe that's a future episode. That'd be very cool. I, I can bring back my uh, Hollywood fat cat, Mark Hammer, back on. And uh, now he is, he is uh, denied any uh, influence with the Illuminati or, or that they've had any influence over him or anything like that. So, but maybe if we get him on enough, we can break him down. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I have a, quite a few 33-degree uh, Mason friends. Uh, oh. I'm sure they wouldn't want to do this show, but I, it's very interesting talking to them because, you know, they cannot tell you what they know, but if you ask them questions, they, they won't lie to you. So <laughs> I have had very deep discussions with both these guys, and they just look at me, both of them, and I'm like, how do you know all this stuff? I'm like, I mean, I read a lot about, you know, I read a lot of books, and, you know, I don't watch TV, and, and you know, this is going to sound really crazy. When I did Ayahuasca and DMT, I kind of, for lack of better term, download. I hate that term, but you download, you get this information from somewhere, and you just know it. It's like a knowing. I had to physically go buy these books and read up on Google and see if any of these things were true, and they were all true. So that's what kind of made me believe fully in, in the medicine that crosses over into the spirit world. Like I, I'm a full believer in all that stuff. I don't know why you think it's crazy to use the word download because the whole concept of, of the, I always say this wrong, the Ashkarthic or the Akarthic record, Akashic record, is that it's basically like a, a spiritual cloud where you download information. So that's exactly what everyone's using to say in that. So you naturally came across, there's nothing crazy about it at all. That, that's, that's the common, that's the common um, analogy now, the common metaphor. So you nailed it right away. Secondly, on your conversations with these Masons, um, you know, if you know the right questions, you should record your conversations with them and you should have your own show or better yet, you should re record it on my show. We could, uh, we'll do a, I'll just drop a, a second episode every week, which would be uh, PJ's conversations with, with Masons. That's a, that's a good idea, actually. Um, let me, let me get in contact with these guys. They, they might, they might be willing to do it, but not put their faces on camera, which is fine. The, the camera, I'm, I don't keep the audio record, uh, I mean the video record. I don't, this is a podcast, it's only video. So, and if, and if they don't want to turn their camera on because they don't trust me, that's fine too. I, I don't, the camera is really only so that, I mean, I think there's a little connection when you talk to someone, but it's mostly so that we don't talk over each other so we see our mouths open or you can put a hand up or, you know, something like a sign. But I, it, there's, there's no video option to this. There's no live stream. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't trick anyone like that because how long is the trick going to last until I drop it? Then, then, then I, then I'm their their enemy and I'm blackballed forever. No one would ever trust me. Yeah. So, so yeah, you don't that, want that. No, we don't. We definitely don't want that. There's just me and my musings, and I mean, I, I've been trying to get out from under my own head for a long time. I mean, this this is an outlet. I, me alone with my thoughts is not something that, that we want to encourage. So, <laughs> so, so let's get into. <laughs> well, I think you might be a little bit further advanced than I am. In, in the, well, I don't know. This, this is this is my kind of uh, uh, meditation. This is sort of like my version. This is the way I, you know, take my journey. And so, you are you're studying for your PhD. What is the exact degree? It's uh, morphogenic quantum physics. 
Oh my goodness. What is morphogenic and a quantum physics? Basically, how DNA works, how the soul tethers to the, the human body, the avatar, if you will. So I'll give you a short description. So most people will know that we're like, what, 80, 85% water? Mm -hmm. We're actually 99% uh, water molecules. Um, and that's another thing. I, I started writing a book about a year ago. And one of my chapters was on water. So I started diving deep into water. Did you know there are 33 types of different isotopes of water on this planet? I did not know that either. So the deeper I dived into it, I was like, wow, this is going to need its own book. And I've already read like 10, 11 books on just water. And I was like, wow, this is, this is fascinating. But anyway, I came across um, the, the study of, of obviously quantum physics has always interested um, I didn't, you know, I grew up, I just wanted to be a wrestler. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to read books when I was at school. I didn't want to do any of these things, but you know, in the beginning of the pandemic and I, I broke both my legs twice, but four years ago, this is where I started on this journey. You know, like I, I had a near death experience and I, I, I sold my TV. I just started reading books and books and books and books. And I, I you know, I was why I had this collection. But anyway, I came across, I've dropped out of medical school twice because I, I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, but what they taught in medical school didn't feel like an education to me. It felt like an indoctrination. So I, I, I didn't want anything to do with that. I went to school in, in London, England, and I went to school in the U.S. and in South Africa. So three different continents. <laughs> I yeah. just, it, just, it just didn't resonate with me until I found this professor, Dr. Jerry Rivera. And he teaches at the Bioregenesis University in Arizona. But I can do the I can do the remaining two years online. I just have to go to class once or twice. So I'm like, yeah, I'm in because this is all about quantum physics and and how the DNA works, which I'm fascinated by. As you know, 98% of our DNA is well, I hate when they say junk DNA. It's dormant, you know, or inactive mm -hmm. DNA. You know, God didn't make a mistake, or whatever your belief system is. I don't I don't believe that there's 98% of our DNA that that, that just doesn't work. I feel like if, you, if we can learn how that works and how to activate certain parts of this, we'll have like superpowers. Not, not, not like shooting fireballs from your eyes and stuff like that, but just more, you know, be more compassionate, be more intuitive, be more um, psychic almost, if you will, you know, like just more, just what we were designed to do, just better, better humans. Because at, at the end of the day, we're all, if you believe the, the Anunnaki story, you know, they had to cross-breed our DNA with the fallen angels. Then, then we're all half angels, if you think about it. Yeah, the, 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 the different interpretations of the Nephilim, which is which may have been one of the inspirations for this show. I, I said it before on the show, and I, I hate to repeat myself, but... Um, Sometimes when I was in services when I was a kid, I and even more recently, I'm ashamed to admit, uh, like a wedding or whatever it was, I I would just be bored, and I, you know, religion sort of bores me in the in the services, which people think is strange because I cover so much of it, because I'm really interested in sort of like the mythology of theology, uh, but I would read the New Testament because you start at the beginning, and I could never get past it because there were so many things in there. I'm like, I don't understand this, I don't understand that. What's in the feeling? Why does this say giants? What? How, how does person number four get banished to the land of Nod and there's already ghost her, goat herders? So these are all these are all you know questions. And yeah, I grew up on comics and the Planet of the Apes and science fiction and things like that. And and then you start seeing oh, this came from that and this you know this was pulled from here and also in Stargate you know 
and the, and the stuff from Battlestar Galactica becomes more impactful. So I don't know. I guess a misspent youth and partly a misspent adulthood has led to the show. But when, not to go too much into the movies, but there's a movie from Marvel coming out called The Eternals. And I don't know who the Eternals are. Um, and so someone told me what, what the trailer was about and basically the storyline. It's the Book of Enoch. It's the Watchers. It's just condensed into seven superheroes. Now, I don't think they're doing crossbreeding. And I'm, I'm not sure if they breed with man or not, but it is. that's what it is. It's, it's the Watchers uh, reduced from 200 angels down to 700, uh, I'm sorry, seven superhero or super beings, basically. And... Ego from Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was basically the Anunnaki. He, he showed Star-Lord all of his failed children in his lab that he had made, you know, he, just the ones that he kept that he'd been making over thousands of years until he thought Star-Lord was the perfect one to, you know, his his Enki, you know, his, his next Enki. Um, so, you know, if, 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 if that's what you mean by Hollywood dropping hints, I mean, there there's two pretty big ones right there on, on the biggest screens there are. So... <laughs> I definitely want to go look into that because I definitely believe that there's certain truths. You know, that I don't think there are a lot of original ideas. I feel like everything is kind of recycled and everything comes from somewhere else. And, uh, you know, growing up very, very Christian, my mom doesn't like this, this path that I'm on. But, you know, like when I was a kid, none of these stories resonated with me. None of it made sense. Like you said, like you read about the floating clouds and the Nephilim and the giants and the fallen angels. Uh, but now, knowing everything that I've known and, and studying the work of Stitchin and Friar Stitchin and other guys in that same field, now that I go back and I read the stories, I'm like, ah, oh, okay, this makes sense. I know exactly where this comes from. When you know, when they talk about the flying cloud, that's obviously a, a, a Merkaba or, or a flying saucer that they were talking about, or uh, you know, like that, little things kind of make more sense to me when I do read those stories. And I can also tell which stories were not to say made up, but like borrowed from other religions or stories and kind of like just adapted to, to fit the narrative of the modern day Christian. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, all the religions borrow from each other, whether people like it or not, if they educate themselves, you'd see it's sort of obvious. Again, it doesn't mean that you have to abandon your religion. You could, you could find the, the commonalities and decide on what you think the original truth is and subscribe to that. Um, but, uh, I I don't think anybody should feel bad if they are confused about this. In my journeys in this show, I became um, attached to uh, or attached as well, affiliated with a uh, a conference called the Nephilim Anthropology Conference, and they had a conference in the UK. It was a Zoom conference, and they were kind enough to you know they took to me early and, and provided me with a lot of guests, and so a bunch of guests have been on. And that's by the way, that's one of the reasons why. Show 52 isn't actually 52. There's extra shows because I had so many speakers and so many guests, especially in the lead up to the conference, that I would sometimes I would drop two, maybe even three shows a week sometimes. Um, and in that, but the point being is that these were all people for the Nephilim conference. And some of them had never really thought about the Nephilim before or the Giants before in the context of their studies and, and their expertise and then put it together, and they had their conclusions, and then there were people who studied it from various different viewpoints. And all I can tell you is that really no two determinations as to what the feeling were were necessarily the same. Some were very, very different. Um, now, PJ has said many times during this show, and I'm saying PJ, but I'm, I'm talking right to him, but I'm, this is going to be audio, uh, said, 
there were good guys and there were bad guys, and there might have been ones that are in between. So, you know, again, it could be one of those false choice situations. Now, I think I figured out what I think the Felim the are, and I think it's very similar to what uh, 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 PJ just said. Um, but there's there's dissension even within the community that steadfastly believes this and even holds a conference about it as to what exactly uh, Nephilim is. Um, and uh, and also the show episode 51 is with the Orthodox rabbi. And he's, we talk about Kabbalah, um, but, uh, he, you know, of course, I'm not going to have an Orthodox rabbi on and not ask him who are the Nephilim and who are the giants. And, you know, and, and his version is is, you know, a little bit different also. So. Everyone check that stuff out. Not to be selling the old shows, but I'm selling the old shows. This this is not a time this is not a time sensitive show like a lot of podcasts. Um, most of these things are eternal. Um, so if you're a new listener, I know there's a lot of you out there. Because of thank you to the Rational Rage Network and Wrestling Soup Network. I should I should forget I shouldn't forget to plug those guys and thank them. Um, so check out the old catalog because not a lot of it is current events. All right. With all of that out of the way, joyously, um, we can get some of the more for, for, uh, fun stuff. Because you asked me, you go, do you know what a tokolosh is? And I'm like, I've heard the word, but I'm not sure. Then I looked into it a little bit further, and it, and it was what I remembered, though there's different versions of the, of the tokolosh, too. And, and also, it's sometimes said the tikolosh. Uh, sometimes there's an E at the end. Sometimes there's not an E. But th- th- this is this is your mythology. This is your this is your boogeyman from your youth. So I'm going to let you lead on on this. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the, the the tribes in South Africa. You know, I, I my parents both grew up on farms. So this was a you know like how most people believe in the tooth fairy or Santa Claus, the, the Tokolosh. Uh, most most kids believe in the tokolosh until they're almost teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they believe, you know, that, and that's how parents kind of scared kids to go to bed or, you know, not get out of bed in the middle of the night. Uh, a lot of tribes in the north, in the well, in, in South Africa, but to the northern part, not closer to Cape Town, like closer to Johannesburg and north from that, they they all still to this day they put their beds on bricks because the tokolosh is very short and you cannot jump and you cannot reach you if your bed is on bricks. <laughs> and they used to they used to scare kids if you know I mean I remember my mom as a kid be like hey remember if you don't go to bed by nine the tokolosh is gonna get you uh, <laughs> you know we they never like kind of explained what he is or what he did but his name came up a lot and as a kid when you when you heard tokolosh. Uh, you know, if, if I didn't want to go to bed, my mom was like, the tokolosh is going to come get you. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to bed right now. You know, there's one of those fear tactics, I guess. But uh, yeah, if you Google it, it's, it's very fascinating how this little midget being looked like. Yeah, the illustrations are, are sort of like if you took a gremlin and they uh, procreated with like a Stitch or Stitch from uh, uh, Milo and Stitch, it's sort of like the offspring would look sort of like that. It was described as a Water imp dwarf zombie, which is an interesting combination, and apparently sometimes it can be used as a shaman to, to vex his or her enemies too. Um, which hey, cool. And yes, a, a boogeyman like the monster gets you in, in you know in your your sleep. And to, and for convenience purposes, it could be made invisible either by swallowing water or small rocks. <laughs> well, I didn't even know that. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure lots of moms were saying, clean up your room, um, you know, sweep the floor and, and don't leave your drinks out because the, the tokolosh will get you and I, I won't even be able to see it afterwards and 
you know, avenge you or find you. I don't know if the invisibility uh, spreads or not. But yes, yeah, so that- I see what little kids, it, it only catches you in your sleep, which if thinking back now, I'm like, why would I go to sleep? I would just stay awake all night. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's like all the boogeyman and the, the monsters under your bed. Um, <laughs> the Russians have Baba Yaga, who, who are, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to spoil it because I'm, I'm trying to get a guy from that's actually from the Eastern, former Eastern Bloc to talk about those things. But yeah, that, that's sort of like a, the, the wicked witch that, that would steal kids, uh, yeah, but Russian style, which is always worse. <laughs> Um, so I also found these other, a bunch of other, uh, you know, I, I found a list with like, and it, it was a list of 11, believe it or not, but it started with the Togolosh. And then there was one called the Billy Ape. Now I never heard of the Billy Ape. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but I have heard it, the ghost ape before, um, or something's called the Ufiti, Ufiti, um, uh, and also apparently the same creature is called the Bondo Mystery Ape. And as it turns out, this is real. This, is, this was just a subspecies of chimpanzees that were larger than other chimps and act more like gorillas. Now, I don't know the difference between behavior of chimpanzees and gorillas, but I imagine if you lived in that part of the world and coexisted with them, you would very much know the differences between chimps and gorillas. So something that was sort of in between that might scare the heck out of you. I mean, you know, might be sort of like our Bigfoot or Yeti or Abominable Snowman. And the ghost state moniker sort of means that it disappears pretty quickly. So I don't know, you, you hear anything about the Billy Ape or the ghost ape or the Bondo mystery ape? No, I don't know too much about that, but um, you know, growing up in Africa, I do know that the chimpanzees are kind of like the friendly version of the, the, the ape community, where the gorillas are like super aggressive. Um, have you ever have you watched the movie Gorillas in the Mist? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I mean that's a true story. You can actually go, you can go to Congo, and I think it costs you five hundred dollars, and they will take you to to these. Uh, these gorillas and they're super aggressive. Like they, you have to sign a waiver and stuff because if they catch you, they'll, they'll go crazy. Whereas chimpanzees are always friendly and you know, like you can feed them and stuff like that. So I don't know if they played on, on that somehow, but I got to look into that for sure. Yeah, I don't know. But I remember there was a while where like they were like B and C and D level horror movies and, and it was always like a, a, you know, a white monster. So, you know, you, you went from, I don't know, you know, we had the white buffalo, which was a a bison. It was basically Moby. It was basically all versions of Moby Dick, except in horror. Uh, and there was one that was called the, the the ghost ape or the white ape. And I mean, I, you know, maybe seventy two people saw it. And me, I I don't know, but I remembered it from that. You know, one of the I don't remember if it was the if is Jane Goodall is she the gorilla uh, scientist or is she the chimp scientist? A gorilla. Okay, so she wrote that book, and the movie's based on her. She recently did an interview saying she wished she never did it. That, that, that she thinks oh, wow. she did more. She thinks she did more harm than good to the to the uh, uh, to the gorillas that she studied. That they, they, they basically, you know, that their lives are never the same. I don't know if she's being too hard on herself or or not. I mean, I, the alternative might have been hunted to you know extinction, but I don't know. I, I just thought that that was sort of sad and and that's that's very recent that's like within the last year maybe two tops oh interesting i definitely gotta check that out yeah who yeah. knows these days you know maybe maybe people get pressured from above or from their book from their uh, book writing companies to, to do to do or certain to say certain things who knows 
you know anything about the stone circles in, in Southern Africa? I know we touched on a little bit with the Anunnaki, that stone circles are always sort of, you know, part of Anunnaki lore, which is like another thing I can't tie together because there's stone circles everywhere. I mean, there's Stonehenge probably being the most famous, but uh, Gobekli Tepe, which is being excavated, there's giant stone circles under there. And they found a stone circle in Lake Michigan. Um, so, you know, everywhere. But uh, it, I think I think it was also Tellinger. I think it was Michael Tellinger who was talking about stone circles. So uh, did you have any exposure to those in your youth or in your studies? I, I did not, but I, I visited a lot of these sites. And I can tell you something that you, you feel, I, I don't know, you can see me, look at the goosebumps. You feel an energy there. It's, it's something something crazy like i cannot explain it so it's definitely it's definitely on do you know what the ley lines are like sure the planets right so we, a lot of a lot of these things are perfectly positioned on the ley lines or the chakras of the planet um, and they all somehow line up to to the the equinoxes all of them all of them so there's definitely something that they used um they built as an you know i think it was just like a it could be like a, a portal of some sort but which they used a the energy, they harness the energy of the sun to activate these things. Um, you know, again, coming back to frequency vibration, it, it, it all works on that. And uh, I don't know exactly know how, how that, all that stuff works. And I don't think human race will ever learn how those things work. But there has to be a reason why all these ancient sites were connected to the, the equinoxes. The, the sun is way more powerful than we, than we even realize, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of things that we don't know about. But yeah, uh, actually, uh, Cliff Dunning, who was on a couple of weeks ago, uh, he gave a really good definition of the ley lines and telluric energies and, and the uh, portals and you know how there's certain places where the ley lines intersect and there's you know stronger energy uh, gatherings or bubblings there. And a lot of times these sites were built right over that and, and that there are people who believe that they're portals not just you so uh yeah that, that's oh yeah and if you look into that too like if you a lot of military bases a lot of like churches are built on those lines a lot of these ancient temples are built on those lines i i feel like maybe the government know about this and you know they just don't want to disclose just disclose a lot of these things it's entirely possible. I, I know for sure that a lot of churches, and not just churches, when I say churches, I, I, I mean a denomination neutral. I mean, that, that could be synagogues, it could be mosques, it could be, uh, you know, I, I don't know what Hindu holy buildings are called, you know, I'll just say temples. Um, but, but, you know, a lot of religious structures, you know, in, in all cultures, you know, dating back, you know, Machu Picchu, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the pyramids built over these ley lines, and a lot of them were built over previous uh churches and temples um you know the, the the romans sort of made that famous but they certainly didn't originate it it's just that i think you know in the 20th and now 21st century that an education in north america is very eurocentric oh yeah and i'm sure it goes much deeper than that like you said like they built these temples over the other temples i mean who knows how far back that goes it probably goes back thousands and thousands of years Instead of going over the list of the other monsters now, I think I'll save that for other shows. Maybe we'll do like, uh, you know, one or two monsters each show at, at, at the end, you know, assuming this this happens again. But we're best friends now, so it's definitely going to happen again. Um, no, I'm kidding. We're not best friends. I'm not, not going to go single white female on you. Um, over Skype. Yeah, over Skype. Yeah, over, it's, yeah Skype. I, I may have other Skype best friends also. Uh, 
I, I also, yeah, you should be. I also have Zoom best friends. But I need to ask you, I mean, I didn't want to get too much into the wrestling thing because I, I didn't even know if you were going to disclose that because I wanted to preserve your, your privacy, though. It's great for me because, I mean, now I have a famous guy on here and, I, you know, it's, it's easier to promote, even though I don't know how to use uh, Twitter properly and do hashtags and stuff like that. But it'll get out. Um, and yeah, you, you know how to do that. Um, who in God's green earth in the locker rooms do you talk to about this stuff? Is there like... You know, I, I I know that wrestlers like everyone else are as diverse as everyone else. And I've spoken to a few wrestlers and and, and they're as different as everyone else is. Um, so who in your 24 years, though, this I, I understand these are, these are sort of new studies, too, but who in your whatever, however long you want to say, like, who did you have conversations? You're like, yeah, you're into this stuff, too. Cool. Like, like that you went into the court and they're like, oh, great. The nerds are talking again. So, so there's actually quite a few guys, you know, and I've only been into this maybe in the last maybe six or seven years. I remember 10 years ago when I moved to the United States. I don't know if you watch wrestling and, and I don't know if he's going to be happy me disclosing his name, but it kind of fits his character, uh, Bray Wyatt. Sure. He told me about psoriasis Fiction and David Icke and the Reptiles and Anunnaki about 10, 11 years ago. And he goes, just, he gave me a podcast to listen to and he goes, just listen to this with an open mind. Back then, I was not open-minded at all. Like my, my journey started when I broke both my legs and had the near-death experience. That's when I started this journey. But I remember sitting next to him on the plane and he gave me this podcast and listening to David Icke talk about the reptiles and Anunnaki. And I was like, dude, if you believe any of this stuff, you're probably crazy. And now I fully believe all that stuff and <laughs> I tried to connect with him the other day and I was like, dude, you wanna let's chat about all this stuff and he's like, oh, you can't you can't talk about this stuff anymore. You know, like I'm like, why not? Like you you put me on this stuff years ago and now I I did the research and I know a lot about it. So, you know, he's he's a family man, so he just kinda wants to get on with his life and not think about it and not talk about it anymore. But uh he's definitely one of the guys that opened my eyes to that. But there are a few other guys too. And I feel like the more time goes on the more and more guys get exposed to, to stuff like this, you know, like whether it's the, the Ayakash downloads they get or people do the Ayahuasca or DMT or they have friends or they see movies and they start looking into the stuff. But, I, you know, it's, every all these things are written in our DNA, if you think about it. I'll give you a little example. There was a scientist that took a, a piece of a nail, right? And he, um, he, uh, he put his ebook onto this piece of, because all DNA is like a, it's like a, it's like a USB drive. It's like a chip, right? He downloaded this, this book onto this piece of DNA and then he, he could download it into any other uh, system, any other computer. And that was just a little piece. Then he worked out if the whole body was like a USB drive, how much, how much, uh, how much could it store? How, how much data could it store? And he came up with a number of 4.5 billion years worth of data, wow. which co coincidentally is the age of planet Earth, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, which, is, uh, which is actually hilarious. I don't know how that ties into that, but I believe that all these things are written on our DNA. And, you know, sometimes when people take psychedelic drugs or have a near-death experience, they somehow tap into that. And maybe the Akashic records, you know, a lot of mystics, they say, when you, once you go inside, you will have all the knowledge, you know? Uh, and maybe that's what they meant. Like somehow there's a way you can go into your DNA and, and figure out all these things and read it. And you know, you hear a lot about people that have near-death experiences and when they wake up, they just, they just know a lot of things, you know? And, and 
uh, modern day science will say, no, these guys are crazy and stuff like that. But if you actually look at these guys with the, the information that they come back with, it's fascinating. Like that's, that's, I mean, that's a whole different topic. You know, I've, I've read about 20 or 30 books on people that had near-death experiences because when I, I know what I experienced and I know I'm not crazy. So I wanted to know if anyone else experienced that. And then they talk about these things in depth. And I'm like, I, now I know I'm not crazy. There's definitely something much, much bigger happening here that we even know. Truly crazy people don't know they're crazy. I, I, don't, even think they, I don't even think they, they mull it over and, and struggle with it. So if you know you're crazy, it just means it, it, you're not crazy. It just means you maybe have, you know, odd interests or things that don't fit exactly into the norm. But... What I found is the more you get to know people and the more you get past their layers, we're all a little bit nuts. We all have something. We all, so, uh, and there's a lot of people with these kinds of similar interests. Um, it's just how far, how deep they go into that versus music versus, you know, The Walking Dead or, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, we can find stuff anywhere. So actually, Bray Wyatt doesn't surprise me at all. You know, if you tell me um, Alistair Black, Tommy Ann, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, you know, Matt Seidel, I would be surprised if he wasn't in, you know, wasn't at least aware of these things. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go through a name of, you know, you know <laughs> Yeah, I could give you a whole list, but uh, we'll, we'll do that on another, on another show. And maybe we'll get one or two of them in, sure. in or something. The more the merrier. That'll be fun. And by then, I, I will hopefully talk. Well, you met my tech support, La Sicaria. I would like to get rid of the other program and get the regular Zoom, but I don't want to pay for both. I mean, it's redundant. And with that, you know, you can have, you know, like up to eight people or whatever uh, for an unlimited amount of time. And I don't know. I'll work it out with her. But, you know, in the end, she wins the argument. So, I mean, <laughs> right. And we'll figure it out. I mean, I feel like technology is moving ahead rapidly right now. I don't know if, you, if you're a big technology fan, but I feel like technology is, is going to jump 100 years forward in the next five years. Okay. I'm a fan of technology. I'm just bad at it and afraid of it. Now, I also had a guy named Leo Zagami on this show. Uh, it was probably six or seven episodes ago, maybe less than that. But, you know, he, his, his thing was on Cyber Satan and the New World Order and that basically the Antichrist is, is in the Internet. So, <laughs> yeah, so now, I, you know, I, I sort of can get that out of my head a little bit, that, that, that that's part of it. But I... I you know, I figured that the die is cast already. I mean, so if I'm if I'm doomed, I'm doomed. I might as well have fun along the way, right? Exactly. Just live your life. Like my, my girlfriend is the same. My girlfriend is from the Amazon, actually. She's a she's a uh, from the Shipopo tribe, and she's the same thing. She doesn't want to do any of the medicine or the ayahuasca. She doesn't want to meditate. She doesn't want to know anything. Basically, if this was the Matrix, she chooses to take the blue pill. She's like, I just want to live my last days out. I don't want to know any of these things. Please don't talk to me about any of these things. Please don't bring any of it up. Please don't talk to my grandparents about this stuff because her grandparents still live there in uh, in Bolivia. So she's like, I don't want to know any of this stuff. Please, please, just I I just want to live normal life. <laughs> well, La Sicaria is from Ecuador, the neighbor. Oh, there, there we go. Yeah, so, so they could be best friends too. Look at that. Um, actually, they they probably have a better chance of it because uh, so. Ask her this: Is she is she loves the Matrix? I have this kooky theory, and I think um, I think I've heard one other person say it, uh, but I don't know if they heard it from me or not. Okay, so my theory is that the John Wick movies are sequels to the Matrix. They are the only sequels to the Matrix, and it's just Neo took the blue pill. He's sitting there dreaming, and that explains why he's basically a super fighter. 
rarely gets hurt, recovers, and there's this whole world of strange, you know, rules and weapons, and everyone's an assassin, but nobody uses a gun from far away. It's only when they're close up. It's always raining. It's always dark. Uh, you know, they all use swords and knives. Um, you know, nobody's a sniper. It's it's like a constant video game, and that that's his fantasy. His fantasy was to be like a high-end assassin in this like video game world, and the John Wick movies are simply just him dreaming in the Matrix. That's very fascinating. You say that because I had a similar theory because John Wick Four and Matrix Four is coming out on the same day. Yes,、and、I don't think that was a joke. I think I think that was a joke to us. Right, right, right. I mean, I mean, they're calling it Keanu Day, and it's going to take quite a while for this to happen. But who knows? I mean, it's the same actors that plays in both. It was the same director, the same stunt. You know, the director of、uh, John Wick was actually the, the main stunt guy in the Matrix, but he got hurt. He broke his back, and for years and years and years, he couldn't do anything. So he couldn't be a stunt guy anymore. So he became a director. So him and Keanu are actually really good friends. So I, that that is very plausible. That theory could definitely become true. Uh, I I just think it might be something where, you know, when he beats the Matrix, yeah, you're right. When he beats the Matrix, and you know, one John Wick is just one of the programs that he runs. Yeah, there's just always there's another final boss. It's a, you know, he, whatever he wins, there's always a, a new adventure caused by something frivolous.、Um, but but yeah, and I I I totally think that those movies dropping on the same day was was their their way of saying yeah. Fuck you guys, you know. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, right, right. A little ironic, so just it's the same thing. But all right, well, I'm glad. See, that's an interesting thing too. Like, do you, do you know, have you ever listened to Keanu interviews? Yeah. He said he says that the Matrix was a documentary. Yeah. yeah. He says that that's out of his own words. Like, whether he's messing with people or he knows something that we don't, who knows? Well, there's 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 been a lot of articles on that, and scholarly articles on that also. And listen, I don't know that anybody wants to believe it. I think in some way, maybe it's comforting that we are sort of an experiment, and that you know that, that it's all going to be okay in the end. I, I suppose it's all preordained, but、uh, I don't know. There, there are certain concepts that are too big for my head to be concerned about because if we are in a matrix. There's no control. I mean, there's 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 nothing there's nothing that can be done about it. I mean, I think that's the difference between, you know, like a regular conspiracy theory posits that we have some element of control, and whether and the we might be that there's ten families that have controls, or the you know the defense、uh, industrial industry has control, or the media you know industry, or they're all the same. The heads of those are part of that. Ten or the Illuminati, they have control, but somebody has control. And then the alternate is that, well, listen, you don't have control. Governments that was just doing the best they can to maintain some control, and yes, some people want and have more power than others. Then you got the Matrix. Then you got the Matrix, which is now we're, it's just a game. We're just a game for somebody else's amusement. That that one is I can do either one of the other two or things in the middle. But that one, I just that's just like okay, if it is, it is. What do you, what do you do? Right, exactly, and I mean both those could possibly be true, and and just like John Wick and the Matrix are kind of intertwined, I feel like both those theories could be intertwined. I feel like you say like, yeah, there's nothing we can do; we're just an experiment, unless you become Neo, you know, unless you break out of the system, you understand how this is, how this works, and you you know you fight for your belief system. Because I honestly don't believe there's anything、uh, like like good and evil, good or bad. Obviously, there's morals. You're not going to go kill someone and think that that's correct. Obviously not. But I mean, both of those are, are very plausible, and maybe, maybe that's what Jesus and Buddha and Shiva and all these spiritual leaders—they were the Neos trying to break out and trying to explain to people how to break out of the Matrix. Maybe who knows? 
entirely possible, or, or they could be the ones who had stronger angel blood in them, and they, and they were the, the most aware of the Nephilim who had that, uh, you know, had access to the Merkaba or the or the cloud more easily, or both, or maybe they're one and the same. So yeah, all sorts of all sorts of fun stuff out there that, that we can talk about. So yeah. Um, I think this is like a natural stopping point. I'm looking at we're at 90 minutes, which is probably not a, an actual 90 minutes, but it, it'll be between the intro and the outro. Um, I, I hope that you will do this again and, you know, we can make this, uh, you know, to be continued and maybe have, uh, you know, further series. If you, if those Masons are interested, that would be excellent. Cool. If you can get any people from the wrestling community or any community, really that, that that's awesome. I would love to talk to shamans, um, yeah, really, anybody that anything that's interesting uh, is welcome in the Garden of Doom, and pretty much everyone's interesting. Uh, and if you were just saying that, well, I'll, I'll edit that out. Um, oh, I definitely, definitely, definitely want to do this again. I definitely want to do some research and, and, and brush up on some of the stuff that I do know, because you know, I can, I can about the stuff I can talk for hours. A lot of my friends hate me for that because once I go into <laughs> down this rabbit hole, I, there's no stopping me. And, uh, I here I am. <laughs> yeah, so we'll definitely do this again, and we'll uh, we'll we'll have some topics, and uh, maybe I can get one of the other guys coming on as well. I'll be your huckleberry. <laughs> so yeah, all right, very good. And and I've got my little source of guests and and you know amateurs and researchers and you know philosophers, dinosaur philosophers as well. So um, so yeah, all right, cool. To be continued, everyone out there, we want to thank PGA Black, Dr. Black, soon to be actual Dr. Black, uh, the doctor of, of darewolfness, the doctor of many things, uh, a man of the, that defies definition. Um, and actually, this is a total coincidence, but I'm going to be seeing him live in a couple of weeks, uh, you know, from the audience. Uh, you know, it's going to be wrestling Ring of Honor for Ring of Honor, um, July 11th. Uh, for those of you who are in the Baltimore area, would like to travel for wrestling. It's the best in the world pay-per-view. Um, so you can check that out and see him in action. But if uh, you can't come live, you can get it on pay-per-view. I just said that. Um, anything else that you want to push, plug, promote in, within wrestling, outside of wrestling? Uh, no, just uh, you hit it on the head. I mean, July 11th is the pay-per-view, and this will be the first time in over a year that fans get to attend live. So we are really excited about this. You know, it's it's very different wrestling in front of a live audience than it is in an empty arena. It's, it's, uh, it comes back to that energy frequency vibration, right? We just, we, we feed off that energy of the crowd and the performance is completely different. So I'm really just looking forward to, to kind of going back to normal and, and feeling that energy. So I can, I almost feel like that's my, um, you know, people call me an adrenaline junkie all the time because I fly wingsuits, I fly paragliders, I skydive, I base jump. That's how I got injured. But the werewolf. Yep, yep. But I feel like wrestling in front of a live audience spikes my adrenaline much higher than all of those things together. So I'm just forward, looking forward to getting back to that, you know, because once my adrenaline is spiked, that activates my DNA and my thought process and everything else. So I'm just looking forward to that. And you're facing them boys, the Briscoe brothers. So that's got to be, well, terrifying. Yeah. And, and I mean, they, they are some of my favorite, they're my favorite tag team of all time uh, the modern, in the modern day. So I'm super excited about this. Excellent. Well, congratulations. Glad you're getting back to the thing that you love. And we'll welcome back you back into the Garden of Doom. 
uh, anytime. And so, you know, but we'll coordinate. Uh, at this point, you know, at this point, I just don't do things willy nilly. We, we coordinate, we, we, I confirm and all that stuff. But now that we've, we have some track record, I'll, I'll get a little less crazy. Um, all right. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your day. Good luck in, in the match. And, uh, I, Wish you extreme success in your PhD and in your research because that only is going to make things better for our show. And I, I certainly hope the Masons and the others that we alluded to will say yes, or at least some will say yes, because I think that would be really interesting. Who gets to have a conversation with a 33-degree Mason? Not me, or not to my knowledge anyway. And I know lots of people you know, on the internet claim to be Masons and whatever, but uh, who knows? I mean, anyone can claim to be anything on the internet. I, I, I claim to be handsome, so, you know. <laughs> All right. All right, Dr. Black, thank you very much. Uh, attend to your patients, and thank you for accommodating me. He's on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast, so it's much earlier there uh, when we're recording. So all is well. All is cool. Um, again, your passport to the garden is perpetual. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me, and I look forward to some of our future chats. All right, cool. Very good.